technically, we're not even supposed to be here for the next few weeks. We will return with a regular episode on April 4th. But this is still new content, so we still gotta do our duty. With that said, today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to mention Telehell in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Trust me, it'll be worth your while and also ours. In the meantime, enjoy whatever this is about to be. It's time for another edition of... The show within our show where we present to you some bits, pieces, and chunks from our cutting room floor. This time around, we're going to revisit the show that we did just a few weeks ago on Valentine's Day. The one that we did with Joe Blevins and Peter Freeville of These Days Are Ours, covering... Uh, this. We've already made our thoughts clear on Joni Loves Chachi, and feel free to listen to that episode again if you want a little bit more context before listening any further here. But our guests said a lot more than we could fit into that episode. Like, a lot more. So much so that this is what this edition is all about. The uncut recording session that the three of us took part in. Unlike the one that we did with The Marvelists, however, this one was recorded on Zoom. And I should probably point out that where I live in the real world, the Wi-Fi connections are about as reliable as two Dixie cups on a string. So much of what you're about to hear will have some unavoidable audio dropout. Fortunately, I always ask my guests to record backup audio just in case something goes wrong. And we're thankful to both Joe and Peter for lending a hand. Otherwise, what you're about to hear took place on January 3rd, 2021, with only the meaningless stuff cut out. Indoor. Let's just keep our fingers crossed, and uh, we are going to begin on page two. I hope, uh, Peter, you have the version with the numbered pages. I do. Okay, good, good. Uh, anything in parentheses, and I said this to Joe, but anything in parentheses is usually like sound effects or I need to throw in a piece of audio. And whenever that happens, uh, just pause for like two or three seconds just for pacing purposes. Sure. Okay. So we're on page two and we are going to begin with, uh, Peter's line. And, uh, this is as I'm about to drag Joe down to hell to do his part of the thing for reasons that we'll get into. And... Mm-hmm. Feel free to read this however you want to, and we're going to begin on take one. So, are you legitimately trying to tell me that Fonzie gets all of his cool from his, le- from his leather jacket and nothing else? He certainly didn't get it from wearing that windbreaker in season one. Don't you remember in season two when he shows up in the pool hall and hits the soda machine? The scene wouldn't have had half as big an impact if he was wearing something out of the members-only catalog. That could have been a coincidence. It's an old-fashioned machine, and... Sound effect. See that? Now you got the Fonzie gods mad. Okay, more sound effects, and then... 
Oh, shit. Uh, uh, time out one second. Uh, uh, Peter, more like a... Oh, shit! Because, like, you're reacting to something really huge happening going oh, on. Sure. So, so a little more reactionary there. So one more time on the count of three. One, two, three. Oh, shit! A little more elongated. Okay. Oh, shit! Perfect. Peter! Okay. Sorry. sorry. Peter, upload the next show without me! Uh, let's try that again. Just a little more elongated. Uh, just... Uh, on the me? Uh, it's it's hard to direct the beginning, but let me. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, just 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 bear with me. Uh, I'm thinking more along the lines of because again, a lot of sounds are happening at the same time. You may actually have to be speaking above all the sounds that I put in. So it's like Peter, upload the next show without me, and like trail off if you can. Right. I know I know you have a mic up against your face, but see if you can just like pull the mic away as you're going me. If that makes sense. Sure. Peter, upload the next show without me. Okay, very good. Now uh, for this uh, next part, Joe. Uh, uh, tractor beam's pulling you down, so when you land on the floor of hell, I need to hear like a uh, impact sound, like a uh, like kind of thing, and I'll throw in the actual physical sounds of it later, and that's where you start to get days. So start with an uh, and then the line. Uh, what the? Pardon me. I have so many questions to ask. Then let me answer them before you ask. You're in hell, I'm a podcast narrator, and I've dragged both of you down here to help me review a bad TV show. Once you do, I'll let you back on the surface. Both? But I'm the only one here. What the? Okay, big long paragraph. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I see why. According to this, the dragger isn't designed to bring people to hell who are... Hold on. I'm a little stumbling myself, and I also forgot to hit record on my audacity. Here we go. Now we go. Oh, I see why. According to this, the dragger isn't even designed to bring people to hell who are under 30 years of age, except in extreme circumstances. Why 30? Apparently, blah, 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 blah. Unless you commit a big enough crime where you're young enough that you sent... Unless you commit a big enough crime when you're young enough that you get sent to a prison or a juvenile hall. Well, good for him, but what about me? I didn't do anything bad, did I? Relax. Like I said, you're just a visitor. For now. I dragged you down here because there's a particular show that I wanted to look at, but because it's related to Happy Days, I need some expert analysis on the subject. What does Happy Days have to do with hell? Nothing, really. But for our purposes, it's because we're going to take a look at one of the more, shall we say, unfortunate byproducts of that show's success. Once we do, then I'll spare you. You want me to review Out of the Blue? Out of the... No! Besides, I need to have a representative from the place upstairs to look at that one. No, Joe... I think you know what show I'm talking about. Play the clip. Oh, fuck. Ooh, I'm sorry. Don't be. You can say that down here. I've honestly said worse when I was alive that would make sailors blush. Oh. Well, it's just that me and Peter usually do our show together. It would be weird if he wasn't here. 
Don't worry. This may be hell, but that doesn't mean we can't be accommodating. Luckily, the Hell Dragger also stores your personal information and Wi-Fi passwords, so we can just place a call here on the Hellophone, and he can join us via conference call. Wouldn't Zoom be easier? Come on, this is Hell. We thrive on antiquated technology. Throw in some sound effects, ring, 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 and... Hello? Hello, Peter. How did you know my name? Never mind that. I've got your friend Joe here, and if you want him to return to the surface, he says he needs your help in reviewing a certain TV show. You mean, you want me to review Out of the Blue with him? Okay, stand by. I'm really going to yell, and I don't want to make you guys go deaf, so stand by. It's not Out of the Blue! It's the other one! Lansky's Beauties? The other other one! Ew, you want us to look at Joni Loves Chachi? It's either that, or your friend will wind up in our fraud circle, where he'll be doomed to eternity to watch a 24-hour loop of Laverne and Shirley in the army. Hey, I kind of like that show. Hush, you! Anyway, Peter, if you don't do this, you can say bye-bye to Joe. Okay, fine. What what do we have to do? I'm going to send you everything you need. Just read the script where indicated, and when it comes to reviewing the episode itself, just say what's on your mind once we get there. Sounds easy enough. Uh, one more time, because you cut there. Sounds easy enough. So, when do we start? I start. After all, this is my show. Just get ready for your cues in three... Two, and freeze. Okay, so I'm just going to move down this big giant paragraph, or two, or three, and... (laughs) Okay, uh, we are on uh, page nine. This is uh, the first big section for both of you, and we are going to be starting with Joe's paragraph. Whenever you're ready, and if you Mm -hmm. stumble, make a mistake, just uh, pick it up from there, and we'll work it on from there. So, take it away, Joe. Mm -hmm. Happy days wouldn't have become... Happy days wouldn't have become all-time great it would eventually become were it not for Silverman and show creator Gary Marshall agreeing on some changes that would ultimately turn the show into a whole into a household name. For starters, the show moved from being a single-camera sitcom with a laugh track to being a multi-camera show filmed in front of a live studio audience. Second, they, they dialed... <clears throat> Second, they dialed back the emphasis on the goings-on of Richie Cunningham and his family so they can increase their attention on a secondary character, a leather jacket-wearing, motorcycle-driving, soon-to-be king of cool, known as Arthur Fonzarelli. Between those changes and a shift in time slots, Happy Days suddenly outpaced its former competition, Good Times, and within a year, the show became the highest-rated one on television. So much so that Silverman pulled a Norman Lear and asked Marshall to try and expand on the Happy Days universe with its own spinoff. Long story short, he did. (laughs) And because of the success of Laverne and Shirley, especially with them being the number one show in the country by 1977, the network wanted Marshall to work his magic one more time. Do, do, do. Ba-da-ba-da-bum, bum, bum. 
While Mork and Mindy wasn't quite the success as Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, it still garnered enough of a following to become a hit for four years and catapulted Robin Williams into superstardom. All right, take a peek. Okay. Afterwards, it seemed as though Marshall couldn't fail. Or at least that was the case before Silverman left ABC for NBC in 1978. Still, though, not unlike Norman Lear or even Chuck Lorre in this day and age, he had three highly popular shows on he had three highly popular shows on in primetime at the same time. And when that happens, you either rest on your laurels or you try to keep busy. As Happy Days entered its eighth season, Ron Howard and Donnie Most already left the show to pursue other things. The show, the show managed to stay highly rated due to the, the show managed to stay highly rated due to the strength of Fonzie, but without its other main character, the show decided to focus on the other members of the Cunningham family, particularly Shortcake herself, Joni, played by the late great Aaron Moran. By this point in the series, the Joni character was already in the beginning stages of a relationship with, with one Mister, with one Mister Charles Chachi Arcola, played by. <laughs> One of the luckiest people in show business, Scott Bayo. <laughs> that was good. Uh, can you just uh, do me a favor and uh, repeat the last sentence again from by this point in the series? Sure. Whenever you're ready. Relationship with one Mr. Oh, hold with, it, hold it. We, one... cu- we, we, we cut off. I'm sorry. Oh, sure. One more <clears throat> time. By this point... By this point in the series, the Joni character was also in the beginning stages of a relationship with one Mr. Charles Chachi Arcola, played by one of the luckiest people in show business, Scott Bayo. <laughs> okay, so a big long paragraph there on page 10, and now I'm going to lead into you again, Joe, so here we go. <clears throat> no, not her. I mean his actual mother. Ellen Travolta, coincidentally playing Chachi's mom a couple of years before she would play Charles's mom a second time on Charles in Charge. But I digress. Before the show even aired, there were a number of things that it, that it had going for it. Brand name recognition, well-known characters, a lead-in from Happy Days' time slot, and even some of that show's top writers, like Lowell Gans, Fred Fox Jr., William Bickley, and Michael Warren... And while there were plans to launch the series in the 1982-83 fall season, some last-minute cancellations earlier that spring was the tipping point for the show to make its debut with a short four-episode first season in the spring of 1982. But by that point, the network didn't really have anything to worry about, considering how well all of Gary Marshall's other shows were faring on the network. So why wait until the fall when they could just put it on right now? Unfortunately for us, we can't just do things right now. We need a breather before jumping into the pilot episode, which we will do after the break. That that sounds much better with the voice modulator. (laughs) A perfect point to take a pause for just a moment. We'll get into all the freestyling on Gary Marshall's Run to the Litter after the break. Up in the air, Fonzie's cool, not a square. Fonzie, Fonzie's a Fonzie. It's Fonzie 
from the Happy Days collection with thumbs up action. Fonzie, new from Mego. Telehell is proud to partner up with Dave's Archives. Dave's Archives is the premier spot on YouTube where you can get your vintage TV fix, including old commercials and original shows covering classic TV and other TV-related pop culture. Here's just a small taste of what they have in store for you. The West Coast has the sunshine and Diet Sunkissed Orange Soda. A bright, bubbly taste from Sunkissed. Slim, trim, and sugar free. Wish you all could be California. Diet Sunkissed. Diet Sunkissed. Want to check out the rest of it? Go to YouTube and type in Dave's Archives. Or you can visit them on Facebook. Again, search Dave's Archives. And now, back to my punishment for the week. And we're back. Now comes the part where the three of us discuss the pilot episode of Joni Loves Chachi. Or should I say, the two of them do, because whenever I have a guest on the show, I like to let them do the talking. And boy, do they. Let's pick it up where we left off. Okay, uh, that's the end of the acting part. Now it's time for the two of you to do some freestyling, and don't think I haven't read your uh, notes that you did on Twitter last night. (laughs) Yes, well, that was... Well, you know, uh, Peter started, because Peter was... uh, I think Peter on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve was going through all the episodes, right? Right. Yep, the the first thing... The very first song I listened to on the first day of 2021 was... When you look at me. Uh, well, 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 hold on, hold on. We'll, we'll save that energy because I got to lead you into the thing. Yeah, there, okay, so. give us, okay, give us a lead in. Okay, uh, so uh, yeah, this is uh, basically uh, how it's going to be from here on out, except for the ending. I'm just going to do the last sentence for each paragraph, and then it doesn't matter whether it's Joe who goes first or Peter who goes first. You can both talk at the same time if you want to. Just, uh, mm-hmm. say, just remember, though, uh, for the final product, I may only wind up using 30 to 60 seconds per section, but mm-hmm. I, I encourage you to say as much as you can because we may get to do a bonus episode in the future where we play this entire session as a bit of a bonus feature. So feel oh, free yay. to talk. So feel free to talk as much as you want to, of course, within the 40 minutes that are currently counting so down on me. Okay, so, without further ado, <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is the section on the theme song, and while I'll concede that at least Aaron Moran had a decent singing voice, Scott Bayo sounds like he's eating toasted and buttered sandpaper. What do you say, gentlemen? Well, I have mixed feelings about the theme song to Joni Loves Chachi, uh, when I was shotgunning these episodes, I at first hated it because it's this really sappy, stupid, but then I kind of got to like it. It was kind of a Stockholm Syndrome thing. And then I turned another corner and started getting tired of it again. So I ended up, I think not liking it is where I ended up landing on that. And as for Scott Bayo's singing, it's not good, but we just reviewed the first Happy Days musical episode. And his singing in that is so atrocious, so off-key. You appreciate his Joni Loves Chachi singing. You have, to, you have to hear his Happy Days singing first. It sounds good compared to that. 
Yeah. I basically went the, the exact same, went through the exact same journey that you did uh, because like, like I listen to this, when you listen to a song 17 times in a row, like you develop at least a, maybe not a fondness for it, but a tolerance for it. And you, like maybe on some level you start to enjoy it just because you've listened to it 17 times in a row. But I, I will say that I'm looking forward to never listening to this song again. And I will also say that this was the first song I listened to in this, the year of our Lord, 2021. And I am a little bit bitter about that. (laughs) That is one way to start off a year. (laughs) Well, it kind of makes you feel grateful that Netflix invented the ability to skip the title sequences altogether. Why is that? Why are streaming services now? Streaming services are like so intent on. Do you want to skip the theme song? Are you sure? Because we can skip the theme song for you. Uh, I'm a theme song lover generally. They don't. Yes. It, it kind of offends me that they always ask if you want to skip the theme song, even if the theme song is like 15 seconds long or something. I remember watching uh, Veep on streaming and the theme song is like 10 seconds and they're like, do you want to skip it? No, it's like 10 seconds. I can survive. <laughs> it's because of the, the rise of the binge watching model. Like you, <clears throat> if you watch 10 episodes of something in a row, you might not necessarily want to listen to the theme song 10 episodes in a row, which it, which feels unsustainable when it comes to television. But what do I know? That's probably true. All right, that's more than enough we'll need from that section. Great. Now we are going to move on to Anachronisms Part 1. Uh, and this is where I lead you in by saying, <clears throat> The fact that even though this was supposed to take place in the late 50s, early 60s, the musical styling and some of the fashion choices we're going to see is clearly from present-day 1980s. If only that was the least of this show's problems. Well... Obviously, by the time of Joni Loves Chachi, they had all but completely given up on period accuracy or evoking the flavor of another era. They didn't even care on this one. This show has so much music that just sounds like 1980s pop that there's there's not even a hint of 60s in it. Even when they do like a cover, like He's So Fine or Love Me Tender, they kind of turn it into 80s mall rock. And the most 80s character in this, I think, is the drummer Bingo, because he has the exact same accent as Sean Penn in Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Michelangelo of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he he also has the exact same same hair as William Catt of of, a... greatest american hero fame every time he talks i can i can just imagine him saying like cowabunga dude you know uh so he's not 60s at all and none of the music is the 60s none of the almost none of the clothing is the 60s so um but the the parent show happy days had given up basically on historical accuracy by then wouldn't you say by then that they'd kind of given up on oh yeah yeah like early happy days was kind of a mishmash of things from the 50s but it wasn't consistent about it so you'd have like a song from 1953 or the cunninghams watching a show from 1959 
and it, like it, it didn't really create a coherent pic- it, it but and it wasn't terribly coherent but it did kind of successfully evoke a feeling of the 1950s and I, I, just around the time that Ron Howard and Donnie Most left they just kind of got bored with that i guess because they didn't really care about inserting things from the early 60s and it just kind of became this weird vague this weird kind of bizarre version of the 1980s and that that that's extremely what Joni loves Chachi's about like there are there's the occasional token nod to this being the early 60s and there's an entire episode built around Beatlemania and Joni thinking a guy who looks like Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney but other than that it just there's nothing in there isn't really anything in the fashion or the fashion or the aesthetics that really evokes the early 60s also Joni's hair kind of makes her look like Adrian Barbo and that is also not very 60s yeah that she has a very 80s hairdo i was going to say yeah so did uh Bayo with the whole feathered look. Yeah, he definitely does. Speaking of which, that is our next subject, so brace yourselves. Because uh, <clears throat> here is the next part. Right. And hold on one second, because I'm cutting off again. Here we go. <clears throat> I mean, holy hell, Scott Bayo wishes he had that kind of ovation in this day and age. Was he really that popular back then? All you have to do is listen to that studio audience on Joni Loves Chachi. Every freaking time he walks onto the set, there's this scream from the audience. And he was on every cover of Dynamite and Hot Dog magazine back then. It was Bayomania. It was basically nonstop Bayo. And if you want like the, the best ever a tribute to Scott Bayo's popularity, watch a show called stairway to stardom and there's this little girl uh, named tony marie toronto who sings a whole song to a picture of scott Bayo. oh god <laughs> it's absolutely adorable she sings <laughs> she sings a whole song to his picture so well that's not creepy at all is it hair so maybe she's <laughs> so maybe she's getting over her scott Bayo mania but as I, much Go I, ahead. Hope she is. I hope she is, because Scott Bayo, as we all know, is a terrible garbage person. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. We are pretty harsh on Bayo on our own show. And I'm trying to remind when we do that, that the guy that we're talking about, especially in Five Happy Days, is a 16-year-old kid, <laughs> basically, who hasn't done anything to anybody other than act in a, a movie or two and be on oh, a yeah. TV show. At this point in time, he has not he has not sexually abused anyone on the set of Charles in Charge. Yeah, Charles in Charge hasn't even happened. And especially on the Happy Days episodes we're reviewing, like this is just a kid who, who's, you know, who's uh, only been Bugsy Malone and now he's Chachi, you know. So, um, you know, I will say this. As much as we dislike Scott Bayo now, the attraction between him and Aaron Moran seems genuine like it it really seems like they do like each other well they did used to date though in real life didn't they yeah they absolutely did and it 
you can kind of that's it's the kind of chemistry that you can't really fake or maybe you can fake if you're a better actor but scott bale isn't a very good actor so it's good that he actually has some romantic chemistry so when the title says Joni loves chachi when you watch the episode you can kind of believe it oh yeah uh, th- there is a very real sense that there is a very real sense of attraction that they have to each other so and th- i think that does actually make the show a better more digestible than if they there was the sense that they, that they secretly hated each other's guts guts or we're just indifferent to each other. Definitely. So, yeah, uh, it's the one. It's the one thing that kind of redeems Scott Bayo's uh, performance on this show. But definitely, the '80s were Scott Bayo years. Uh, I was just, I was just watching. Do, do either of you know the show uh, Doctor Katz, professional therapist? Sure do. Yep. Okay, Ray Romano was one of the patients on that show. And he said, uh, my mother kept the house spotless and she put plastic on the furniture in case somebody important would come over, like the Pope or Chachi. <laughs> so she mentioned, so that's who in on, so if you watch Ray Romano's episode of uh, Dr. Katz, that's who he thinks of as an important Italian-American celebrity would be Scott Baio. Oh, geez. Um, The poor, poor Italian-American community. (laughs) Okay. uh, Moving on now, uh, we got one quick line from you, Peter, and this is where we talk about Art Metrano. So uh, just uh, moving on now to page 13, right in the middle there. I'm just going to lead you in. Though for the purposes of this being a podcast, it might be more recognizable if we played this piece of music. <laughs> Didn't Family Guy get sued for ripping him off? Indeed they did. Emma Trono won. Thanks, Satan, for lawyers. Okay, so now this is where we talk about Art Matrano himself, and here's the wind-up. <clears throat> Well, clearly this show wanted this guy to become the Howard Cunningham of the spinoff, give or take a lot of room for improvement. Art Matrano is seriously one of my favorite parts of Joni Loves Chachi. And it's probably a lot because uh, a, a lot of that is probably due to the fact that I grew up watching the Police Academy movies and he's Mauser in Police Academy 2 directed by Jerry Paris, who directed almost all of Happy Days. And so whenever I see uh, Art Matrano on the screen, I'm a happy person because it flicks that, you know, it flips that nostalgia switch in my brain. And I'm like, we're in good hands now. Art Matrano's here. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's very, very good in this. He He does very, very well at making uncle rico this kind of lovable rascal like he is not trustworthy in the slightest but he is pretty charming and he does have a softer side as the episode christmas show shows i think that's probably one of the best episodes the show ever did and one of the nice things about it is that it takes uh, uncle rico and makes him a more rounded character and it shows you the affection that he has for his family because a lot of times, you know, he's the sleazy guy. He's the, 
con artist guy. And so this shows that, yeah, underneath all of that, he is a really, he's a caring father, even if he is kind of a sleazeball. And the other thing, <laughs> you know, in the theme song, they want you to be really sold on the singing of Joni and Chachi. Like these kids are supposed to be like such great musicians that we're all supposed to love them. And so in the theme song, all the other characters on the show, like lean in and smile to listen to their song. (laughs) And you have like Al Molinaro does it. And then Ellen Travolta does it. And then even Art Matrano, he gets out of that phone booth, I think. And he listens to that song. And what it reminds me of is that scene in Airplane when the... I was just thinking the same thing. (laughs) It's exactly that scene, except like if that were played for real, like if that were played for serious, that's what it's like, where the flight attendant starts singing the River of Jordan and then everyone leans in to listen to it. (laughs) It It reminded me a lot of the music video for Eddie Murphy's Party All the Time where Eddie Murphy is singing this not very good party jam song and everyone in the recording studio is just grooving to it, even Rick James. And it's like, okay, I know you... Rick James, I know you have better taste than this. Come on. One of the things they have to do through this whole thing is, you know, they have to sell you on Joni Loves Chachi's band, which doesn't ever get a name, does it? No, nope. don't never, a, don't ask me. I only just, saw the pilot. <laughs> so Chachi uh, and the Chachi tones. Yeah, they don't even bother giving the band a name, and but you've got to believe that they are like going to be the next big pop sensation. So everybody on the show uh, believes that. Which uh, you know, Art Matrano is there to help sell that illusion. It helps. It, it sometimes was refreshing when the band didn't go over. Like when they played the Irish pub, like two seconds into a song, and then like the whole crowd starts booing. <laughs> because it's the one time on the show when like people don't love their music. But uh, yeah, but getting back to Art Matrano, I think he's great on the show. I think uh, I, I kind of like that he is a the anti Al on the show. Mm-hmm. Basically, he is the contrast to Al. So. Oh yeah. Okay, very good. And before we go any further, I just got some good news that apparently uh, Zoom has gifted us with unlimited time because it's still technically the holidays, so no more pressure to speed things up. Hooray! (laughs) So we can talk as much as we can, especially about our next subject, the, uh, I guess you could call them the comic relief of the program, the uh, Masterellis and Bingo, who you alluded to earlier there, Joe. Uh, So uh, let me just lead you in. Uh, I think I may have bitten off more than I can chew with these three, and we haven't even seen them at peak capacity yet. Guys, what can you tell us about the Magnificent Three over there? Is Bingo supposed to be a stoner or just really stupid? He's supposed to be, like, full of childlike wonderment. You know, he is in awe at the world. Also, he's really stupid. But (laughs) I think he's substance-free. But I think... this is a few years, you know, after Taxi and uh, Reverend Jim, and how Reverend Jim just seems like a stoner who's kind of out of it, but he also can come up with phrases of uh, wisdom or whatever. And I think, I think Bingo has a little bit of that going on. I think Bingo is kind of like a holy fool in a way, you know. 
so I, I think there's more to him than uh, I think there's more to him than just being stupid. I think he's supposed to have sort of a philosopher's uh, take on the world because he's not materialistic or he's you know not uh, dragged down by all these. Uh, concerns of the rest of the world you know he's he's kind of very much his own guy uh, I actually really ended up liking all the members of the band uh, both you know bingo you got Mario and Annette I think those are the three names yeah um, Mario is weird because not only is he the star of Massacre at Central High and he's the one who does most of the massacring in that movie, he also played a vicious gang member on two very memorable episodes of Happy Days already by this point. Yeah. So do you think that they're all the same person or are they just identical cousins? Because we, we know that identical cousins are a thing in Happy Days thanks to... Uh, yeah, uh, Alan, is, Alan, his... Uh, no, uh, they're brothers. I was going to say uh, Carmine Ragusa in Laverne and Shirley and his identical cousin in Blansky's Beauties. They're, they're both played by Eddie Mecca. Well, you know, we've had, we've had act, we've had lots of actors come back in very similar roles on happy days. Uh, You know, they'll play somebody in season one and they'll come back as somebody slightly different in season two. So I think that's, that's what's going on here. It's a fairly common practice in TV shows. I mean, hell, Law and Order practically reinvented the whole idea of an actor coming back as somebody else, even though they've been killed off elsewhere. Yeah, the 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 odd thing here, though, is not that he played multiple characters, but it's that he has this almost reptilian scariness <laughs> on Happy Days, and now he's kind of just the lovable keyboard player. What is his instrument? I forgot what his instrument is. I think he plays... Guitar, keyboard, something. He I, plays. I, he plays something. He plays something, and I like. And he and Annette are sisters, right? And siblings, Art, yeah, siblings, no, bro, siblings. And uh, Art Matrano is their dad, right? Right. And I liked all of them. Uh, in fact, I wondered what happened to them after Joni Loves Chachi because I don't think they're ever mentioned again on. Happy Days proper. They, they, they died on a, their way back to their home planet. They make, a, <laughs> they make a cameo in a season 10 episode where the cast of Joni Loves Chachi all guest. Oh, cool. And, and I think that they just disappear after that. Well, I, I did worry about what happened to them after, after Joni Loves Chachi ended. The only thing I don't like about Annette's character, not anything to do with the actress, I think she's great, is that they just constantly have her either eating or talking about eating like it's the only thing in her life. And at one point, Scott Baio actually leads her across a room with a chocolate bar, like, or a, I don't know if it's a chocolate bar or a cupcake or a cookie or something. And she just follows like a cartoon character. And I was like, okay, we get it. You know, food is a priority in her life, but you don't have to say it in every single scene in every single moment. So yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable. I do like it. It's just, it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. That's the only thing that I would say is um, a negative about that one character is that they hit that one note a little too often and maybe they need to 
dial back those jokes. And maybe if the show had gone on, they would have dialed back those jokes a little bit. And I like that we get at least one Annette story. Uh, uh, was- yeah. In season four, uh, she accepts a proposal from a shady guy because she doesn't think that she can do any better. And she figures that if she doesn't say yes to someone now, wait a, she'll wait, never wait, get... Wait, wait. Wait a minute. She'll never get a chance to say yes again. Season and four? <laughs> episode four. Episode four. <laughs> if, if the show lasted that long, we would not be doing this today. I, I misspoke. <laughs> I misspoke. That's okay. Okay, but yeah, in episode four, she accepts a proposal from this kind of skeezy guy because she doesn't think that she'll ever get another chance again. If she doesn't say yes now, she doesn't think she'll ever be able to say yes in the future. And it turns out that, yeah, he's he's a scumbag who makes a pass at Joni in the lead-up to the wedding. And so Joni and Chachi have to expose him as a cheating douchebag. The only thing that I can say negative about, the epi- about that episode is that there exists a Cheers episode called Coach's Daughter, mm. which has a similar story about coach's daughter it the coach's daughter is played by elise beasley and she's going to marry a sleazy guy because she doesn't think she'll have another chance to get married again and there is an absolutely heartbreaking scene in that episode and if you think about that episode at all during joni loves chachi it'll kind of ruin joni loves chachi for you so you can't think about that you have to don't think of a better show during this terrible show. <laughs> yeah, you had to dial down well, your expectations. Well, 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 to be fair, both of those shows are Paramount Productions, so perhaps they were just swapping notes down the hall. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps, yeah you know, okay. borrow stories. That is much more than enough information about the master. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure we're giving you more than that. No, 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 that's okay, that's okay. More, more is good, but <laughs> there's only so much I can take. I know. Go ahead. Now then, we are going to move on to part two of anachronisms. Uh, hopefully you have a little extra saved up from the first one, but this just further illustrates the point about the music, especially the music. Uh, not just the fashion choices, but let's see if we can focus a little specifically more on the music itself. So sure. let me wind you up there, and hold on, I lost my page. There it is. <clears throat> if you're a show based in the 1960s, Play music that's styled from the 60s. And if your show is set in the 80s, play music from the 80s. You can't have it both ways. Now here... Oh, go go ahead. You know, it'd be one thing if they were, like, good pseudo-80s music, but, like, they're not. They're, They're just kind of there. That's what I would say about these songs, is that they are kind of forgettable except for one of the original songs in the show and it's called i'll take you back it's the only one that they play twice in the span of the 17 episodes and that song is a freaking jam that song i would listen to genuinely i would actually go out of my way to listen to that song because it's actually pretty gosh darn catchy and i think the problem with the music on joni loves chachi is that this was the early 80s. Uh, music videos are blowing up. MTV is blowing up. You know, everybody wants to be, I don't know, Mr. Mr. or Duran Duran or something. And ABC is, and ABC is like, 
can you give us something like that? Can you give us something a little bit, you know, a little bit more, uh, I, I don't know, Pat Benatar or something? Can you give us something like that on our show? And that's what they get. They get sort of 1980s pop music because I think Joni Loves Chachi is ABC's rather feeble attempt to compete with MTV. That's my guess. What do you yeah. think? Th- that that would make sense. And like if if they were performing more 60s style music, it would probably would it would have been a harder sell for them to hypothetically get be launched into pop music stardom in the 80s. But also they didn't get launched into pop music stardom in the 80s either way. So and I don't know that they're ever getting that close. They don't seem to be making that much progress. They're not. Um, Maybe if they had gotten, a f- gotten four seasons. There was a Scott Bale album, I'm pretty sure. I think there's a oh, Scott God. Bale. Is there a Scott Bale album? Now if, I have to know. If, if there was, I'm sure Jimmy Fallon would have had it on his Do Not Play segment. Yeah, so I, I can't imagine really any of these songs uh, becoming hits in the real world. Other than I'll Take You Back. Man, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to oversell that song because you're going to listen to it and think like, what, this is just more generic 80s crap. It doesn't sound like anything. And I, I can't oversell it. I, I can't say like this is like the song for my generation or something. But um, it's, it's better than their usual uh, original songs. I think it's the best of their original songs. So I can kind of imagine that being an actual top 40 hit, maybe by another artist, if they got somebody else to sing it. Yeah, maybe. Okay, very good. All right, we are now going to move on to the crux of this entire program, and that would be Joni and Chachi's relationship in general. Sure. Get ready. This is going to be one you won't want to miss, I'm sure. (laughs) Here we go. Well, before we dive into how this misunderstanding inevitably gets resolved, I'm going to ask you two. Up to this point in Happy Days history, what are your thoughts on Joni and Chachi's relationship? It is deeply tedious, and I don't like it. Yeah, it doesn't really add much to the show. Um, It's hard to believe that these two eventually end up married because... Chachi on the on Happy Days is just kind of a punk kid who's always trying some new scam. Like uh, in a lot of his early appearances, he's selling stuff out of bags, and I'm not sure where he's getting the merchandise. Like, is he is he stealing the merchandise and then selling it? I'm not sure how he gets all the stuff that he sells. So it's hard to imagine that Joni sees this guy and thinks, "Yes, this is the man to whom." I want to devote my entire life. This is the man I want to marry. Well, so, by this by this point in time, Chachi has, you know, Chachi's personality has more... Uh, by this point in time, Chachi has completely lost that facet of his personality, and he's just a generic pretty boy. Well, do you want us to... Uh, uh, time, do you want us to talk about, like, their relationship on this show? Uh, more in general, just like just how... Just in general? Uh, just like how... Well, I mean, it, it's specifically just their relationship. So you can talk about the early years on Happy Days as well. Sure. One thing that gets established early on Happy Days and gets carried over to Joanne Loves Chachi is that Chachi is very quick to jealousy of yep. 
he is very possessive of Joni. And I keep rooting for Joni to kind of wake up and realize, like, this guy's a jerk. And uh, she never does, really. Although she does get mad with, at him quite a lot. Yep. But so, she, she, she never breaks up with him. And they're going to get married in the future. That sounds future. like a Lifetime TV movie in the making. It does. Uh, but, yeah, their, um, their relationship on Happy Days, it never really adds that much to the show. Although, again, I can say that the genuine real-life chemistry between Scott Baio and Aaron Moran is palpable on camera. Uh, they do seem to have an attraction to each other on the show kind of immediately. So um, I can see why the writers and producers latched onto that aspect of the show and embroidered on it and decided to make it its own show because I guess they do have a genuine chemistry, but it doesn't lead to like great stories. It doesn't lead to like a lot of great humor. And in fact, it kind of hijacks Joni's character because Joni is a character with a lot of potential in the early seasons. Uh, one of the things that she does best is undermine Richie. And she kind of like uh, busts Richie's chops all the time. And so she's kind of the smart aleck. And a lot of that goes away. Like she's not a smart aleck anymore once she gets involved with Chachi. Like Chachi's more of the smart aleck. And Joni is just like the president of the Chachi fan club. She just like follows Chachi around and does what he wants to do. And she loses that kind of uh, smart edge. aleck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she loses her. Yeah, she exactly, Peter. She loses her edge when... Um, yeah, when she becomes Chachi's girl. Well, I was uh, actually, uh, that was going to segue neatly into the next subject, but you kind of got a head start on that one there, Joe. Oh, okay. So uh, Sorry. This is, no, no, that's okay. We'll use some of that, uh, but we can use a little more as well. So this uh, next section is about the evolution of the Joni character in general, not just on Joni Loves Chachi, sure. but just throughout the entire series if you want to. So... <clears throat> Well, clearly, she's offended that she's being dismissed as a goody two-shoes. But I always thought she started things off as the tomboy of the family looking at... Excuse me. But I thought she always started things off as the tomboy of the family looking to do all the things that the cool kids do. Yeah. J Joni started out as Richie's smart-aleck little sister. She was snarky and sarcastic, and she liked poking fun at her brother and sassing her parents and she, she was just a really fun kid and and you know as she matured into teenagerdom she became interested in doing teenagery things going on car dates and meeting boys and gossiping with Jenny Piccolo yeah you know one thing that I wish the show had done earlier was introduce on-camera female friends for Joni so we could actually see her hanging out with her friends and having more stories of her own where she's not always just having to be the hanger-on or the kid that's, you know, off to the side. Uh, maybe that's what Chachi allowed her to do was at least allowed her to go out and do stuff, you know, and not just 
the joke on Joni, uh, the, the joke about Joni is that she's always just being sent to her room. And that even gets carried over into uh, Joni Losachi. They even mention her being sent to her room all the time. And so, yeah, that, that's something that they do over and over and over again. Whenever, like, stuff starts getting too real on Happy Days, it's like, Joni, go to your room. And then she complains about going to her room as she walks up the stairs. And then she's gone for the rest of the episode. And so I guess that's the best thing about her relationship with Chachi is that it at least, it at least allows her to go out into the world and do something, you know? Um, one thing that I thought was kind of confusing on Joni Loves Chachi was that she doesn't seem to have any kind of life plan other than being in Chachi's band. Well, she, she, she also, she's also going to college and studying like art. And I do like that she seems very invested in her college studies and she's very excited about, you know, classes and joining a sorority and stuff like that. I, yeah. I thought, and, and in the episode where, uh, Joni and Chachi sneak out to see a a sexy art house movie. Joni is like analyzing the symbolism of it as Chachi's trying to make out with her. I thought that was great. Overall, I, I want to give Erin Moran some credit. Uh, she can really deliver her lines great. Uh, I think she is a very. She, I think she was a very adept comic actress. Mm-hmm. She is the third Joni, if you think about it. We watched the other two Jonies, Peter, and neither of those actresses made anything out of the character at all. The only reason that Joni is anything, I think, is because of Aaron. Um, we saw the other two Jonies. One was Susan Naher and the other was Audrey Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. And they are wallpaper, basically. They're nothing. They're props in uh, the only person to actually make anything out of that character was Aaron. And I think they started, I think, I, I think Aaron has a pretty good uh, feel for comic dialogue and comic timing. And I think she can hit the dramatic notes as well. And so that's one of the best things about Joni Loves Chachi is that it's a good showcase for Aaron's acting. Mm-hmm. So. Beautiful. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Now we are going to move on to the network's attempts to save the show using gimmicks of some kind, mostly stunt casting. So this is page 17. Yep. Right there. Do you want to give us a lead in? Yep. 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 It's almost as though ABC didn't have enough faith in the show to begin with. So pump it up with stunt casting steroids just in case. Yeah, you know, when a when a spinoff is in trouble, that's when they send people from the parent show over a lot. Uh, Howard and Marion come over at least twice, and the season two premiere is Fonzie's visit. And so, yeah, that smacks of a little bit of desperation on their part. Like the show isn't making it on its own, so we need to bring in Fonzie and Howard and Marion. And the weirdest stunt casting is the guy who played Paul in Beatlemania, being a, playing a fake Paul or somebody who they mistake as Paul uh, on uh, Joni Loves Chachi. So I think they should have gone even further with this, frankly. <laughs> 
I think they should have just brought in guest stars every week. I think it should have been like that version of of Scooby-Doo where they're bringing in Don Knotts and Mama Cass and Dick Van Dyke and Sonny and Cher. Joni and Chachi meet the Harlem Globetrotters. Now that would have lasted four seasons. Exactly. I I suggested uh, when I was watching, I was suggesting it to myself, but the Joni Loves Chachi Mysteries, you know, I think... (laughs) If they're solving mysteries and traveling around, are you kidding me? In a van with the band, they're driving around, they're solving mysteries. Bingo is kind of like the Scooby-Doo of the show. And, you know, Annette is always like the Shaggy because she's always wanting food. You know, Shaggy always wanted food. Annette always wants food. She could be the Shaggy of the show. She's no, also no, no. Kind of- Bingo should be the Shaggy of the show because he's the one that gets high. I said Bingo would be the Bingo. Oh, yeah, I guess he would be. I guess then that makes Annette the Velma of the show. And uh, I guess that would make... Uh, it, would, it would make Joni Daphne. It would Daphne. Make, it would make Chachi Fred. And then it would make... Uh, oh, The fifth Al. one, Scooby-Doo. Yes, I guess it could be... It could be Al. Could, oh, yeah, uh, Mario, I guess, could be scooby uh, But definitely they should be solving mysteries. They should definitely be... Well, I thought they weren't playing up the show business aspect of this enough. Like, uh, Laverne and Shirley, they met frickin' Fabian. They climbed into Fabian's window and got to meet Fabian. Couldn't they get Fabian or something for this? Uh, couldn't they? Uh, couldn't Joni and Chachi open for, I don't know, Chubby Checker or something? Uh, they got to they gotta start opening up for, like, some, some other pop stars and rock stars. They got to start meeting, like, famous show business people all the time or hey Joni loves chachi they they come on uh, american bandstand boom you got uh dick clark there dick clark's was always available to do stuff he would have guest star on your show so i think they should have completely uh, sold out and played up the the guest star angle yeah also jessica walter shows up as an older woman who wants to 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 get to have sex with chachi <laughs> <laughs> and like you, you know, th- this this was 1982. She'd been, she, you know, she'd been nominated for two Golden Globes at this point. So like, yeah, I would say this counts as stunt casting. Yeah, I I was actually like so relieved to see Jessica Walter on the show. It was like it was like an oasis in the desert, you know. When you see like Mallory freaking Archer is on this show. I was like, thank God, somebody, you know, because one of the things that I think Joni Los Chachi lacks is characters that have enough charisma to kind of carry a whole show. And that's where I think the guest stars could have come in. And I, I would list Jessica Walter as my favorite guest star in Joni Loves Chachi history, just because of who she is. And I just like the energy that she brings to the show. She manages. Uh, she manages to sell the idea that she might conceivably want to have sex with Chachi. I don't like it, but she she, she does pretty all right. Now then, we so are going to move on to Mister Molinaro, which, incidentally, I I, I was kind of torn because you know every time I do the show, I throw in a fake commercial break, and I was kind of torn whether or not to do a Fonzie toy or one of uh, his old encore frozen dinner spots. One of his uh, Almo, because <laughs> I came across like a gotta shit the, ton of that. <laughs> gotta be the frozen dinner stuff. Gotta be the frozen dinner stuff. I, I may have to change that now because of this. Because <clears throat> I'm finding out a lot more about the guy. But here we go. Wow, 
And here I was thinking that Al was just a typical one-note character. But standing up to Mr. Magic Tricks, I honestly don't know if that turn was out of character or character development. What do you guys know about Big Al? Uh, I Okay, go ahead. Oh, uh, when he's first introduced in Happy Days, Al is kind of this... He, he's, a, he's a big sad sack. He's just this very... He's got this perpetual hangdog expression. He's constantly being sad about his old girlfriend, Rosa Coletti. He just... He, he's, he really wants to be lo- liked and respected, and he's not quite sure how to go about that. And by the time that we see him in Joni Loves Chachi, he's he's become happily married to Luisa Arcola, Chachi's mother, and they've opened up a restaurant in Chicago, and he seems a lot happier now, and he's making an effort to be Chachi's father. And Chachi reciprocates. Like, there's some difficulty there, but they do genuinely consider one another to be father and son. And it's, it's a very sweet relationship. And... I think that Al and Louisa are wonderful in the show. I think they're the best parts of the show. I don't think I'm not going. Uh, I think they're the best parts part of the show. They just have a lot of warmth and a, a lot, a lot. Of, they're just very warm and very lovable. And I think that they provide an interesting foil to the Cunninghams who are a fairly typical, you know, suburban wasp family. Uh, no, wait, not wasp a very typical white suburban family, whereas Al and Louisa are, you know, they, Louisa's been married before, and Al is getting on in years, and he's become a stepfather to this young adult, and I don't know, I I just, I I really like him in this show. I would 100% agree. I think the strongest aspect of Joni Loves Chachi is neither Joni nor Chachi. It's actually Ellen Travolta and Al Molinaro and their relationship, which seems so genuine. And it's wonderful to see these two people who have found themselves, who have found each other at this stage in their lives, and they are very much in love and they have this relationship that you get to see uh, develop and it's one of the most touching and wonderful aspects of Joni Loves Chachi so if there's a reason for Happy Days fans to seek out this spinoff it's them Uh, so I would definitely say that this is a great showcase for Al it really shows you that side of his character. You know, he is a softy, you know, and which he admits, like he is a pushover in a lot of ways. And then you get to see him assert himself and, you know, stand up to people. Like when he stands up to the leopards, even at the leopard lodge meeting, and he will stand up to Art Matrano, uh, who is trying to, you know, do something that Al doesn't think is uh, ethical. So, yeah, this is a wonderful showcase for Al. And he, his character really helped me get through these 17 episodes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Very... I think it's safe to say that we probably would have lost our minds. I kind of lost my mind at the theme song, quite honestly. But 
we've already covered that. <laughs> okay, uh, this uh, next section is uh, pre-written for you guys. So uh, we are on page 18, and I am going to lead you, Joe, and then Peter afterwards. So... <clears throat> Even more so, the show's first four episodes wound up outpacing Happy Days lead. Or excuse me. Even more so, the show's first four episodes wound up outpacing the Happy Days lead-in it was given in the spring of 1982. And yet, it's perennially an entry on various worst TV shows of all time lists. There has to be more to this than it lets on, right? Actually, I think we can take it from here. Well, the show did turn out to be a massive a massive success in its first mini-season, and at the same time, ranking as the fourth highest-rated show among all that broadcast that year, the ABC network was concerned that the show might not have had the staying power to be a hit without its lead-in, especially considering that, by then, Happy Days just completed its ninth season on the air. And while it's a lot more common to see TV shows today with shelf lives long past its expiration date, Happy Days couldn't last forever, that theory was put to the test when, in the 1982-83 season, ABC moved the show to Thursday nights instead of its comfort zone on Tuesdays. To put things in perspective, that meant putting the show on opposite the likes of the TV version of Fame on NBC, Magnum P.I. on CBS, and then later in the midseason, the show found itself up against the A-Team. Suffice to say, the show wound up getting slaughtered, but it also didn't help matters that the episodes of the second season were written by people who may have cut their teeth elsewhere, but didn't really know the Happy Days universe that well, let alone an extension of it. All of these factors were more than enough to take the show from number four in its first year to 70th place the next year. So much was left in this show's wake that in a 2014 interview with the AV Club, even Scott Bayo himself was quoted to say that if given the chance again, he would never do the show a second time. Okay, that was good. Uh, I think I heard you stumble a little bit when you said 70th place. Uh, so just that one sentence again. Let's pick it up from all these factors. Just sure. that sentence. All of these factors were more than enough. To, or, all of these factors were more than enough to take the show from number four in its first year to 70th place the next year. Good. Okay. All right. This is where I give my uh, overall judgment of the thing, which is yet another long paragraph. But this is now where I want you to to sum up Joni Loves Chachi all together on the whole. And the lead in is anything to add, boys. So the the urban legend that the show was super popular in Korea because the title sounded dirty in Korean is, well, it's completely false. The idea is that Chachi sounds like Jaji, which is a very wor- rude word in Korean. But the thing is, it, the show was not available to ordinary to the average Korean household at the time. It only ran on the American Forces Korean network. So, K- Korean network. So, the show was never dubbed in Korean. It was never subtitled in Korean. The average Korean person in 1982 would not have, would probably have no idea what the show was. And, and even if it had been, and they probably would have changed the title if they were afraid that people would think, oh God, like they probably would have changed Chachi's name if they were, were afraid that people, that the average, that uh, if they were afraid that people would hear the title and think, oh, hey, penis. 
the thing I've always found suspicious about that urban legend, which I've heard for years, is that even if the show had a salacious title, once people tuned in and saw that it was this very bland sitcom, wouldn't they have just given up on it after like five minutes at most? So I never, I never believe that story because like the show itself is so toothless, so innocuous that it's hard to believe that people would stay tuned because, oh, wow, the show has a really dirty title. I bet something really exciting and sexy is going to happen in the next five minutes. And what are they like five episodes in nothing's happened seven episodes in nothing's happened but you know this that title still says Joni loves chachi i guess the title still says that she loves penis so uh something's gonna happen and eventually you'd lose heart and i think most people would give up on the show right away uh even if it did have the dirtiest title in the world overall i would have to say that what surprised me about Joni Loves Chachi is that it is a perfectly pleasant, uh, competently produced sitcom that is not nearly as memorable as you would think like the worst show of the 1980s or this this perennial punchline of a show would be. Uh, Peter knows that uh, I have forced him to watch various other Happy Days and Gary Marshall related shows. Yes. And this isn't nearly the worst of them. Like, Gary Marshall did a show called Me and the Chimp. And compared to Me and the Chimp, like, this is, this is a masterpiece compared to that. Uh, I would say it's not even noticeably worse than shows like Making It or Angie. And I would say it is actually better than Blansky's Beauties. So it's not the complete embarrassment that Blansky's Beauties is. So... I think that for, for the most part, like that urban legend, the uh, reputation of Joni Loves Chachi being one of the worst shows of the 80s is just completely overblown. Oh, yeah. I, I was dreading doing this. But honestly, once I actually watched it, I was like, oh, this is surprisingly tolerable. Like, I, I feel like the the somewhat overblown reputation of the show could is more applicable to something like Blansky's Beauties, which is genuinely kind of unpleasant to watch. But also, like, Blansky's Beauties is more... It, it's not as connected to the Happy Days universe. Like, Joni Loves Chachi is firmly within the Happy Days verse, and as a result, like, you, you kind of have to acknowledge that it exists. Whereas with Blansky's Beauties, you can just forget about it. And you probably should because it's very bad. In fact, you know, the way that I saw shows like The Ropers and Three's a Crowd was that those episodes would get mixed in with Three's Company in reruns. They would just toss those in occasionally. Mm. But I didn't mind because it was like a little bit of variety. I thought of all the Happy Days spinoffs, the one where they could kind of seamlessly edit in, you know, some some episodes to throw in uh, occasional spinoff episodes is Joni Loves Chachi. I think if you put the Happy Days theme song at the beginning of this, you could just kind of believe that it was an episode that mainly focused on Joni and Chachi. And you could actually kind of pass these off as Happy Days episodes because the tone is so similar. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the best thing I would say that uh, Paramount could do for the show is just – 
mix it in with the regular Happy Days syndication. And hope people don't notice. People will notice because there's the internet and people will complain about everything. But <laughs> they could actually bump up the uh, episode count on Happy Days a little bit. if they. And I even said that uh, I think of this less as a spinoff and more as a, as a side quest. It's, it's Happy Days. It's a Happy Day side quest is all this is. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. I, I do agree with that, but if you do it with that show, you would inevitably have to do it with Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy as well, well to see, an extent. Well, you know, Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy are much, much more their own thing with their oh, own yeah. fl- and their, their own flavor and much stronger central characters that mm. you could really build a whole show around. And happy, and Journey Love Shashi really feels more like... Uh, Happy Days Light, basically. It feels more like a, a side dish from Happy Days. So I, I think the other two spinoffs, the ones that actually succeeded, are much more able to stand on their own because they have much better premises and much better uh, characters. And uh, Joni Losachi is a little too weak to be on its own, but I think it could, I, th- I think you could sneak this in as part of, of Happy Days, just if barely. You- yeah. If the show had been Louisa Loves Al, I bet it would have gotten four seasons. <laughs> yes, it would have. Brought to you by the number four. Uh, by the way, uh, quick, uh, unrelated ta- <laughs> quick unrelated tangent before we continue. Uh, I, uh, you were especially talking about the Ropers. I'll probably be one of the very few Three's Company fans out there who can actually defend Three's a crowd, and largely because... The original British version, Man About the House, it spun off into Robin's Nest, and that lasted for right. a number of years. And people seem to forget that that was essentially what happened. And I, I, every once in a while, somebody will pirate episodes of Three's a Crowd on YouTube, and they'll say, this sucks. Where's Janet? Where's Chrissy? Where's everybody? And they don't understand that this was part of an original story that continued. I'll defend Three's a Crowd to the hilt if I have to, but that's, yeah, I, that's another story for another day. Well, I've just been watching Three's a Crowd, and yes, it follows. They're following the blueprint from the original <clears throat> British show, so it's completely understandable why they would do it this way and also i have to point out that the character of easy on three's company easy taylor is is exactly like bingo from joining love shachi they might as well be the same guy ridge mount high must have had a huge impact on everybody back then is is he a sonar um it's like, kind of implied layback surfer type, I yeah. guess. Yeah, it's but it's kind of implied that he might be, but it's more like he's he's basically it's just bingo. It's basically bingo as a chef. <laughs> okay, we are almost at the finish line. We got one more freestyle to go, and then one more bit of acting to go. And this is where the two of you—I don't know if you were going to be saving this for when you inevitably hit no, the fine. end of your road, but. This is now where we want you to talk about Happy Days in general, overall. Not just the one show, sure. but all the shows, the spinoffs, and Gary Marshall, and all that stuff. So let me have it with both barrels, and let me cue you. And at the same time, I guess I can see why Happy Days means a lot to the two of you. Yeah, Happy Days is interesting as a show that started out being about something, namely 
1950s nostalgia. And then over time, it became more and more a show about itself. Like it, it built up this whole lore around Fonzie and the, the 50s nostalgia eventually just became a weird background thing about the show. And I think that that's where all the spinoffs come from because like you're trying to uh, wait, let me, and take your time. And, and I don't necessarily think that's better or worse, but I do think it's, you know, interesting. I will say this about happy days. I grew up, uh, watching the show. I think I watched the last few seasons of it as it aired live for the first time. And then I saw it a lot in reruns because it was just in constant syndication in the eighties and nineties. And it was not a show about which I gave a lot of conscious thought. It is not a kind of show I would think of to even review or analyze in any way. And I never did until we had this podcast. I never thought about this show critically at all. I don't even think it's meant to be reviewed. <laughs> I think it's meant to just be like a pleasant half hour of your and I think it's kind of weird that in the internet era, you know, we're, we review and analyze and dissect every single aspect of pop culture. And of course, that has to include happy days. And so we're constantly talking about the continuity and the themes and all of this stuff. And I honestly don't think that Gary Marshall gave it that much thought. I think we've given happy days way more thought than he ever did. And that's not a problem. It's just interesting. I never thought about this show in any kind of critical way, uh, what it was about or what it was trying to accomplish or show us. Um, generally, I would say that I found the show to be very comforting. It is a comforting, pleasant show. We have just been through a very uncomforting, very unpleasant year. And one of the things that was great is that through all of that, we were covering happy days on a weekly basis. And I could escape when I needed to, to 1950s Wisconsin and Arnold's Malt Shop and the problems of Richie and Joni and Potsy and Fonzie and Howard and Marion and not think about anything that was happening in 2020. And that was a wonderful gift. This show is a wonderful thing if you want to just not think about mm -hmm. anything <laughs> but I think Peter is a kind of person who can't not think about stuff I think uh, you know would for you say that? For, it is a gift and a curse so I would be totally able I think to just turn my brain off and just enjoy this as just pleasant uh primetime comedy and not even really give a thought to it uh critically at all but um, obviously, because we have a podcast about it, I have to think about this critically and I have to think about, you know, what is the writing like? What is the acting like? Is the show staying consistent? How is the show from one season to another? Which normally I never would have even given a second thought. So, but overall, I'm just, I'm glad that we review a nice show. Uh, that is one of the gifts of doing These Days or Ours, a Happy Days podcast, is that Happy Days is at heart a very nice show. It is 
reassuring. It is comforting. There is justice in this show. It's not one of these nihilistic cable shows where the bad guys win and the good guys give up. It's not one of those shows at all. I like that stuff too. I like nihilism. I like that kind of dark uh, nihilistic uh, entertainment. But Happy Days isn't like that. Uh, Inevitably, good people are rewarded, bad people are punished, and if you are a main character on any of these martial shows, people care about you and your life. And even Annette, who is a silly character on Joni Loves Chachi, uh, people care whether or not she marries this jerk. You know? Like, on some other show, they on, on a modern show, they might just let her get married to the jerk and then have a bad marriage, and then the bad marriage becomes a source of jokes. But not on Happy Days, not in the Happy Days universe. They're going to try and fix it because it's a nice show. And yeah. You have said it way better than I ever could. And if I was in a more cynical mood, I might say that there is something vaguely sinister about looking at the 1950s and trying to paint it as a more uncomplicated, happier time. Because for a lot of people, for most people, it was not that. But at the same time, I I do think that Happy Days is a genuinely well-intentioned and pleasant show. And, and, and there's only, and I, I, I appreciate it for what it is. Okay, we got one more section to go. This is our final acting piece, and uh, I just want to be sure I uh, get this chronologically correct, because I was, uh, this episode's supposed to drop on Valentine's Day, and I believe the same week that this episode drops on that day, you guys should be up to the Westward Ho episodes, and I just wanted to make sure I got that detail correct, number one. Yeah, I think we... Uh, what do you that, think? Was a three, that was a three-part show. That's I didn't a know three if we were going to yeah. yeah, we we should be probably getting to that because we're um, probably next weekend we're going to do um, Richie's Girl Exposes the Cunninghams. Which gotcha. episode? God damn, does that episode freaking suck? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, please. Come on. <laughs> this is my show. You can say whatever you want to say. <laughs> I'm, this is off record, but that episode fucking... <laughs> I'm trying to be more positive when we actually review that, but... God damn, this episode is the laziest piece of shit. Oh, my God. But anyway, I just got through saying all this nice stuff about Happy Days, and Richie's Girl Exposed to the Cunninghams has got to be like one of the lamest freaking pieces of junk. Anyway, you know, you know, yeah, Actually, it's uh, it's good that you said that because uh, this is a little uh, bit ahead of a time for myself, but later this summer, we're going to do a bit of a mini-series about bad episodes of good shows, and now that you mentioned that one, I think I may actually have completed it, so thank you very much for the tip. I'll <laughs> be sure to give a look at that and judge for myself and see if indeed it is as bad a reputation as you say it is. But I just wanted to be sure on... Uh, oh, it's not, the wor- it's not the worst we've ever seen. It's not the worst show. It's just the least Even episode. So. It's the least episode of Happy Days. It's the one that they put the least amount of effort into. But Any, anyway... Anything that puts a crack in the veneer, I'll, I'll take. But, uh, but, Absolutely. Uh, but, so. I'll, but I'll definitely look into that. Now then, uh, let me just uh, go through uh, the final so, yeah. bits here. Um... There's going to be a lot of sound effects, so I'm going to need a little uh, longer pause when you get to the part with the helicopter, like about five seconds or so, just so I can insert that there. And uh, other than that, uh, that should be the last part. So, uh, okay, so uh, both of you guys stand by, and and with that in mind, we're all set here. 
and you're free to go, Joe. Just in time, too. We gotta finish up work on the Westward. We gotta finish up, and just in time, too. We gotta finish up work on the Westward Ho episodes. Oh, I love that one. It was nice to see the gang outside of Wisconsin once in a while. Great, but how exactly do I get out of here? The hole you pulled me through must be millions of miles deep. Well, ask yourself, what would Fonzie do? What would the... Oh, I know. And I'll throw in the sound effects later, so five-second pause now, and then... Really? It's that easy to get out of here? That can't be right. Snap fingers and... Uh, Peter, we're gonna need that line one more time. I'm completely frozen. We out? Uh, no, 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 we, we just froze a little bit. Uh, just Peter, one more time on that line. Uh, wow, okay. I'm gonna hang up now. This just got too weird. These happy days are yours and mine. These happy days are <laughs> yours and mine. Happy days. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, or gentlemen... And so ends another trip through our sifted ashes. We do have plans for one more crossover before the season is out. And once we get everything taken care of there, you'll hear those outtakes too. In the meantime, we cannot thank enough both Joe Blevins and Peter Freeville of These Days Are Ours, a Happy Days podcast, for taking the time to be a part of the show. And hopefully there's another piece of Happy Days-related ephemera worth talking about in the future. Now then... We still have three more weeks to go in our time off, and our secretary said that the best way to kill some time is to talk about some things that happened when I was alive. And since this is a TV-related program, I think I've got an ace or two up my sleeve. Preferably, one where you hear these kinds of sound effects. So, next time on Telehell, I get to regale you with a story of my many failed attempts to get on a game show over the past 20 years. Until then... If it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Not unlike certain viruses, Telehell is everywhere now. In addition to Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, we can also be heard on Google Podcasts and the iHeartRadio app. Of course, we can also be heard in a number of other places just by Googling Telehell. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and follow our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast. Thank you.